0: Hey, would y'all give the band a hand? This semester has been so good, so good, and they spent so much time getting ready, and John's just led so well this semester, so, Um, man, that was good tonight, real good, real good. Um, Okay, Romans 8, Uh, would you open to Romans 8? See, I have this note here. It's, uh, I never got this question. I was asking the Lord all day. Should I start with a full explanation of the war symbolism in the narrative? Yes or no? Okay. Okay, we'll start there then. Okay. Um, that's where we'll start. Uh, I, I do think it's a good idea. Y'all are right. I think this is a good idea that we do this. Um, let's just go. Let's, I'm not even going to introduce the introduction. Let's just go with the introduction. Um, let's draw back and remember uh, the context of what we we are reading um, in Romans. And when I say the context of what we're reading, let's draw back and remember why humans exist, what God is doing on the earth, The purposes that he is playing out specifically after Jesus. Let's drop into that for a moment because I'm afraid when we move through our day-to-day life, uh, we forget what that is and we get lost in the narrative of our own existence, Uh, right? You got to go to school, you got to pass some tests so that you can go to the next step and once you get to the next step, you can get to the next step and then, you know, once you graduate, you can get to the next step, which is hopefully find a spot, right? And you get lost in your own narrative and forget, what are we doing here? Okay, so I'm just kind of going to read this. I'll stop if I feel like I need to. Humans, humans exist. We're made to rule and to reign the physical realm, the earth being foremost in the physical realm, as vice regents of the creator God. Uh, and, and instead of God just creating and then filling the earth with all this cool stuff and then sort of letting it play out, or filling it with all this cool stuff and just watching it, he creates it and then creates humans who are vice regents. When I say vice regents, we rule on his behalf. Right, this is the Genesis 1 dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creeping thing, right? In my image I made them. So we're made as image bearers who are not just there to say like, look at what God looks like, or look what God's supposed to look like. But rather to act as his proxy on the earth. This is a difficult thing for us to grasp. Um, And so I I feel like if I say it over and over, you'll just get it. And so, that's the way we're going to do this. We exist as... The best way to say this is in ancient Near Eastern culture, when a ruler would conquer a place, he would put in an image of himself there, a statue of it. Like if you're even if you're familiar with Roman culture, uh, when 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 the Caesar started getting really powerful, they started putting statues of themselves all over the Roman Empire, and then uh, and then emperor worship began. The cult worship, emperor worship began. And so what you're seeing is it's just a reminder to everyone there hey the ruler is this person and so when god created the earth he put image bearers there he put image bearers there to say this is what i'm like and i rule and reign in this way okay so we're created to rule and reign in that way um very quickly, humans went dark in their hearts and mind, being deluded by voices other than God. You know the story of Adam and Eve and the little snake, uh, by voices other than God. And I felt like we should go here just for the fun of it. How many of you are familiar with Lord of the wi- Lord of the Wings, Lord of the Wings? Yeah. How many of you are completely unfamiliar with Lord of the Wing, Lord of the Rings? Okay, we'll just go with it then. Um, are y'all familiar? I, th- I believe it's in Two Towers. I believe in the second one. There's this. There's this scene that plays out for a while uh, with this guy named, I think his name is Grima Wormtongue. Familiar? Maybe you don't know the name, but you remember it if, if you've seen it, right? So the, 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 cr- the crew rolls into, what's the name of the city? Rohan. Rohan. Come on now, okay. They roll, Rohan, Rohan, Rohan. They, they come into Rohan, and there's a king there named The. Theoden, King Theoden, that's it. And you see when they get in that something's wrong here. This king who's supposed to be this good king ruling this land. where They're they're allies. They're supposed to be allies there, Rohan. Um, And they get in and he's pale and he's bloated and his eyes are cloudy and he doesn't look right and he's ruling in a way that is destroying his kingdom, if we can put it that way. And what, what? I miss said something. Did I miss Am I doing great? Okay, thank you. More than conquerors. More than conquerors. We're going to get there. Okay. So he's, ru- he's, he's ruling in this way that, it, that it's destructive. And, and, and the more they're there and they see what's going on, there's this snaky guy named Grima Wormtongue who comes in and he like whispers in the king's ear. And it seems after a while that he has control Of the king, and then what we find out later on, it's not just that he has control of the king. That this guy Wormtongue is being used by, what is he, Sauron? Not Saruman, Sauron, right? Saruman. Uh, That all sounds exactly the same. (laughs) By one of those guys, he's using it to control this guy Theoden, and he is under the spell and under the influence and under the direction of Saul, Saruman. Is that right, Saruman? <laughs> the, what, yes. And And what you see is, when Tolkien's writing this, he's really, really painting a picture of the way that earth has played out since the fall of Adam and Eve, where What you're seeing in Adam and Eve is they, they exchange the voice of God for the voice of a deceiver. And in exchanging that voice, the world comes unraveled and it comes unraveled because they were vice regents. They had dominion and in exercising that dominion and not listening to God and listening to a deceiver who wants to destroy the created realm, it began to fall apart. It all began to fall apart, right? And, and as I've played out before, brother kills brother, then there's Noah, and then there's just story after story of the rulers just falling apart and then the earth falling apart in the same way. So the creation fell into ruin with people killing people. We're back in real life. We're out of the two towers. Now we're back in real life. The creation fell into ruin with people killing people for power and possessions, Satan, the deceiver, influences cultural messages, world rulers, and the people around us. And then like propaganda ministers, he blinds us to the war that we're actually in, to the spiritual conflict that's raging all around us, and gets our minds set on, like I said at the beginning, the narrative of your own existence. What do you, like, what's your future and how are you going to accomplish your future? blinds us to the war and its effects. Uh, We were blind to see this and powerless to change it. We couldn't fix ourselves. And then Jesus steps in and like we, we talked about at the beginning of Romans 8, he ends this Condemned state that we were in to be blind and powerless in the war, and also because we're blind and powerless in the war, we commit atrocities against humans and against the creator of humans and are condemned because we're doing that. And Jesus steps in and takes the condemnation for us and then disarms the rulers and opens our eyes to this thing that's going on around us that there's something bigger. Right, You remember the moment you begin to realize there's something bigger than the narrative of your own existence. That there's something bigger than you and you accomplishing all the things that you want to accomplish in your future. That there's something bigger playing out in history. Then Jesus steps in and he makes it to where we are not blind to what's going on. He disarms the influence of Satan who wants to condemn us before God. He gives us his spirit so we can walk in his authority and power. And then here's where I want us to remember. But he has not taken us out of the war. He has not taken us out of the conflict. He has not set all things right. Uh, And I don't know if Kyle said it this morning, but me and Kyle talked about this uh, this week. He's given us renewed hearts, but with our renewed hearts we are in an unrenewed world. And that's kind of where I want to kick off this last part of Romans 8. So go to 26, and hopefully 26 and 27 will make a lot of sense in light of that. Actually, one more thing. Remember what we talked about last time, that condemnation being condemned to this blind sinful state and being condemned because we're in this blind sinful state being condemned to death that condemnation has ended. We've been adopted into the family. We were just singing, I am a child of God. I'm no longer, we've been adopted into the family of God and then it says, if we've been adopted into his family, we are sons but if we are sons, then we are heirs and we talked all last week. How many of you weren't here last week? Goodness. But you listen to the podcast so you know exactly where I'm coming from. We talked about last week that when it says that we've been adopted in the family, it's not just that we've been brought into relationship. We've been given the inheritance that sons have been given. And so the promise of the future, the future glory, the future hope, is that we will inherit the earth which will be renewed and we will reign and rule it with Christ once again. And so, if you're here last week, we unpacked all of that. If you weren't here, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to take it and just believe me. But that the future is not that we are zapped off to heaven when we die. Rather, if we do die, we go to be at the right hand of the Father. We go to be with him until Jesus returns to end the war, to set all things right. We return with resurrected bodies and we, like has been promised to the Israelites, have been promised to the offspring of Abraham, all those who now follow Jesus are now a part of the promise to Abraham, which was that his people will inherit the earth in its renewed state and will reign with Jesus this renewed earth. And then he jumps right into the fact that that hasn't happened yet, and we are in the middle, with renewed hearts, in an unrenewed world. Now let's read twenty-six, uh, Romans eight twenty-six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So do you see what I mean here? Because we have these renewed hearts and we've been given the Holy Spirit, but we yet we, we are yet to be in the perfected, renewed state. You know, and I just want you to think about your experience as a Christian. I want you to think about your experience as trying to follow the Lord. Do you know what He's talking about when you? How do you even put this? It's, it's groaning it's too deep for words. You know the feeling of having a, re, a renewed heart in a broken place. Do you know what? When I say that, does it not just cognitively make sense? But do you know the feeling of that? Like, imagine having to wrestle. Uh, imagine once you realize that there's something that you are doing that is sinful and it's grievous to God and you don't want to do it anymore and you try and try and try to not do it anymore but you find yourself really unable to break this pattern or this habit and you just find yourself like like grieving. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about whenever you see things going on around you? Broken relationships, divorces. I'm talking about really, really bad things. Are people that have been in a, an addictive lifestyle for a while um, and, then, and then very, very bad things happened to them because of that. Or they grew up in a broken home whose parents grew up in a broken home and then in this broken home that they've grown up in, they've created patterns that they can't quite get out of because they've been really trained since they were two years old to operate a certain way. And so you see how difficult and broken the world is because it's not like some of these people haven't just chose to, to, to fall into habitual patterns. A lot of people fall into habitual patterns because they've been raised in homes where habitual patterns are just the way of life. And so when you start looking at people and you start tracing their histories back, you start to feel how broken things are. And you see that and you just kind of, you just kind of grieve over it. That, that's exactly what he's talking about. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given a renewed heart. And yet here we are in an unrenewed place. Even in unrenewed bodies that war against us. But, right, that's Romans 6 and 7, which we already did. All right, let's keep going to the most famous verse and the most misapplied verse. Right. You know, okay. 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We'll just stop there. I think most people read that verse and they think it says, all things are good. And that's it. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So what are the purposes of God then? What are the purposes of God? Well, remember the narrative that we just painted out. We are those who, whose eyes have been opened to the way this world is functioning and uh, the way humans um, use other humans, the way that brokenness leads to brokenness, the way that a broken home leads to a broken individual, the way that hurting people hurt people. Our eyes have been open to the way that when we conform to a cultural narrative presented to us by America, that it really doesn't lead us into life, it leads us into death. And you know what I say when I say cultural narrative, right? I kind of unpack this a little bit this semester. Um, commercials. Axe commercials tell you that if you wear axe, women will have sex with you right? Old Spice commercials tell you that if you wear Old Spice, women will have sex with you. Okay, when I say cultural narrative, I mean that's one little bitty thing that is being thrown at you all day, every day, saying you should value sex with random women. It's not just saying that Old Spice is going to be good and you should buy it. What it's saying is, here's the narrative, here's the thing that's going to make you happy, here's the thing that's going to fulfill you, here's the thing that's really going to be great for your future, is if you can have sex with random women, maybe two at a time. I mean, like, watch the commercials. We think it's, like, cute, but it's really, like, good Lord, seriously? This is as deodorant. But we have a cultural narrative that says... You really need to sacrifice most things so that you can go to college, and for four years in college, you should get a little drunk half the time, but you should do your school well so that you can stay there for four to five years, and then when you get out of school, you should make sure within that first year, you get married, get a job, and get a job so that you can buy a big house, you can go into debt for about $250,000, and then get a couple cars so you can add about 50000 more to the 250000 and then you can pay off that $300,000 loan plus your 300000 and you're probably not $300,000 here, plus your a hundred thousand dollar school loans and then when you're 60 all of your debt will be paid off but now you got your 401k there so that you can retire and you can travel a little bit and then when you're tr- done traveling you will have had a fulfilled life and you can die and pass maybe something on to your kids you, you see what I mean by that narrative it's a cultural narrative here is the fulfilled life now walk in it and f- here you are in the middle of that cultural narrative going to college And then what does our cultural say that the cultural narrative for a fulfilled college life is? The cultural narrative for a fulfilled college life is not make sure you get plugged into a gospel-centered church so that you can serve willingly and sacrifice of yourself for the good of the city and the good of the people in that church. How many movies have come out that are about that? And if one does come out, you will see like this is the most corny movie ever. Right, like, if, if they make that movie, you're, you're probably not going to go see it. But what are the movies that do talk about college? I'm, like, from the age of Will Ferrell. So that was, like, Will Ferrell's always in college for some reason. And he's always getting drunk. So for us, the fulfilled college life is we'll throw caution to the wind, throw everything out the window... Go find freedom and self-actualization. Find out who you are. Like, let loose of everything that controls you. Find freedom. That's the fulfilled college life. You see what I mean by cultural narrative? So we've been awoken to the fact that these cultural narratives are lies and they're the product of demonic influence that is at work destroying the lives of humans. It says, we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. His purpose is this, that humans would find that in following Jesus, condemnation is removed. And then in being filled by his spirit, we've been awoken to how we don't have to walk in that cultural narrative. And that we can move along sacrificing of ourselves to see strongholds broken down and bondage broken down and broken families renewed and broken places be restored as we serve as lights in dark places. And so that his purpose is to bring about this renewed earth. And before he brings about this renewed earth, it's those who have renewed hearts moving along in an unrenewed place being agents of reconciliation. And so I think the tension for us with this verse oftentimes is We are really not keyed in or cued in to... Keyed, cued, or clued? Clued in? Clued in? We're not clued in. All three is fine? Okay, all three is good. To what the purposes of God in our life are. We are busy trying to accomplish our own purposes... And then when we meet trials, difficulties, struggles, we kind of turn to God and be like, where the heck are you? What the heck is going on? Do you listen? Do you care? And we're not saying, Father, I open my hands and I want to accomplish your purposes today. You're saying, Father, I have a narrative that I've painted for my future and I really, really want that narrative to, to play out well. And so I do want you a part of it, but I just want you to sort of stamp my narrative as good and then empower it along the way. And so when it says we're called according to his purposes, it also means that we submit our purposes before him and we walk in his purposes for our future. And we let go of whatever narrative for your future you have in your mind. Which is difficult, which is not easy. It's very difficult. Like how many of you have a perfect future painted out for yourself? Okay. Just that many? Like the rest of you just have no plans for the future at all. How many of you have a, de- okay, so you know bad things are going to happen, but you have a decently good narrative painted for your future. It's like, if this happens, this happens, this happens, this I'm going to be happy and fulfilled, and I'm waiting for that day for that to happen. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. And I know a few of you are actually open-handed with the Lord, okay, because you're super spiritual. But for the most part, for the most part, for the most part, it's so easy to paint our future and then just expend our energy trying to make that future a reality. And we expend our energy, and we expend our energy, and we expend our energy just making that future happen. And I kind of wanted to settle in on this verse. Because I, I do think that most of us don't wake up into the context of war. We wake up into the context of just doing the next step in our narrative. Accomplishing the next thing that we need to do. And we're overwhelmed by it. Like how many of you are overwhelmed about next week? Okay. And again, some of you are spiritual and I'm not, like some of you really are. You're like, nah, that's cool. But yeah, suppressing it. That's what I do. <laughs> but I mean, for real. Next week is a difficult week because for a lot of you, like if you don't pass something, it okay. You got another year here, and Nacogdoches is a happening place. <laughs> you know, it is. It is a wonderful place but i mean how odd is it for me to say that you should open up your hands to the lord be diligent to study yes trust him that he can guide next week and he can guide next year and open your hands enough to say like i'm going to be diligent but if i got to stay here six years i'm gravy as long as i'm accomplishing your purposes or would staying here a year longer or not getting a job right when you get out of school, does that like, create this like, anxiety in you that's like, oh, crap, like, then what happens? You know what I'm saying? Okay, it's because the narrative that you have for your own life is so powerful that you expend all of your energy trying to see it realized. And here's the thing that I really want us to see before we move past 28. This is the, this is the big lie, and here's the bottom of the lie the promise of the future hope the promise of the renewed state the promise of this thing in us that wants a place where nothing goes wrong and everything is peaceful and everything is ordered and all of our work produces fruit and everything is fulfilling that we take part in where there's no difficulty and there's no problem is the promise that Jesus is going to fulfill in the future but we so badly with our renewed hearts want to see this place of peace and order and happiness and we think in our own minds, like if I just get around this curve, everything is going to be okay. Like if I just get past this turn, if I can just pass this hump in the road, if I can just get here, then everything is really going to be okay. Like everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be in a smooth place. It's going to be easy next year. Or it's going to be easy after this. Like a lot of you is like, if I can just get past next week, then it's really going to be easy for the rest of my life. It's just going to be smooth and it's going to be ordered and it's going to be peaceful and life's going to be good. Or I'm not dating anybody, but I do have my eye on this guy, and if I could really, if I could just date that guy, like if I could get him and that person was close to me and we could have our future planned out with a couple dogs and two and a half kids and a cat that's not annoying, that's an outside cat, like if that could happen, then I could imagine that my life would be super fulfilled. Like how many of you, I'm asking how many of you over and over, but how many of you like could tell me now what would be your fulfilling future? Like, what's the next thing you need to get to be fulfilled? Just throw something. Throw, Graduate and then get a job. But a, a job that has, you're starting out at like 60000 a year, upward mobility, right? Because, I mean, we don't want to make 60000 forever. For two years, it's fine. But we need benefits and we need insurance. But in our minds, we can project, we can project, this is the thing that will bring peace, order, security, satisfaction, fulfillment. And the lie is, if I just expend my energy to get there. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shallow. So like, for me this year, it's like, if I could just get the house painted, oh my God, I'll stop being stressed out about the house. If I get my porch painted, oh, I'll just be so... Man, it'll be great. And now I, like, drive up. We have seven acres, and so I'll drive up a little bit. And it's just, it's just terrible. The road is washed out. There's trees falling down. And I'm like, as soon as the break hits, I'm going to have three weeks, and the whole property is going to be cleaned up. Yeah. And there's going to be tr- trees that bear fruit <laughs> all year. You're not even in season. Just all year. My garden is not going to have weeds. Like, it's just going to be this great thing. Right? And I will expend so much energy. No. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And so what I'm, really, what I'm really like trying to say, what I really want to see, what I would love to see in our people, what I'd love to see in the people of this church, you, is that we would wake up in the morning and say, your kingdom come, your will be done today. And so if there's a misstep in my narrative, it's fine. Because I trust you, Father. If my narrative gets thrown to the side and something crazy different happens, it's fine, Father, I trust you. But that we would really, really say, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my kingdom and not my will. And so that you would see in a day That you might not expend your energy on fulfilling your narrative. That you would expend your energy being faithful to the purposes of God for that day. And that you don't need, not that this is bad, but that it it may not be your responsibility to end sex trafficking in the world. But it might be your responsibility to be faithful in your class to say an encouraging word to one person who feels isolated. it's just being faithful in a day is really all we've been called to be. You don't have to create some new spiritual narrative where you change the planet and you usher in the new creation before Jesus gets here. It's just it's just being faithful tomorrow and not expending your energy on your narrative, but rather just trying to be diligent with what the Lord has put in your hands. So I'm not saying throw away school and go to India and try to be the next Mother Teresa. Because that movie's coming out and some of you are going to think you need to do that. What I am saying is that the Lord has put things in your hands to do. Just be diligent to do those things but not wig out when it doesn't conform to your plans because really you've been called to accomplish His purposes and that's all you've been called to do. And the frustration happens is when your wants don't line up with his purposes. Right, Second Timothy 2. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits because he wants to please the one who enlisted him. Or James. Y- you want, but you don't have because when you ask, you ask so that you can spend it on your passions. Right, it's, it's in all of these authors, they're talking about, I've submitted myself to the purposes of God in every day, and now once I've done that, I walk in the promises of God every day. Because I think when we read this next part that's very encouraging and very beautiful and, 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 and really the crescendo of all of Romans, I, a lot of times I'm just like, sweet Paul, that's great. I can read this beautiful part of Romans 8, and the reason it it doesn't affect me is because I'm so lost in my own narrative. So let's jump into that, and then we'll finish up. Oh, and just so you know, just so you know, I'm going to sort of, I know there's like 20% of you that really want to get, Austin, okay, want to get into predestination. (laughs) We're going to spend a week or two maybe trying to deal with it a little bit but that's going to be next next semester Romans 9 is really going to get there he's hinting at it now uh, but we're going to gloss over it suffice it to say that as we read through this I want you to realize this your your spirituality is mysterious the way that you a physical being act with a spiritual being and who initiates what and how you respond and how that moves along is a mysterious thing and we don't need to feel like we can pin down all the mechanics of it. We need to be obedient in it and responsive in it. And we're going to unpack it or try to unpack it a little bit next semester. But as I go through here, don't think I'm just going to gloss over and we're not going to deal with it. Because it is, this is the, the freaking chapter that we're going to have to deal with. Um, I, in college, I used to argue with my roommate. Every, every two weeks, we would be in bed. We, we didn't sleep in the same bed, but we did sleep in the same room for a while. <laughs> and we, we would go places. Sometimes we'd be in the same bed, like going to stay at his house or something. But we would always argue about predestination. Like, always. Like, we'd be going to sleep. And then I'm leaning over yelling at him because he's a Calvinist. And, and then I became a Calvinist. And then I was not a Calvinist. And it was just like, okay, 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 okay. But you're in college. We'll get past the predestination. Okay, let's just keep reading. Good Lord, what am I doing? It's the last... It's the last. Okay. Uh, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In this mystery of spirituality, it is God doing the leading and the working and the initiating, and you are responding to it. In the same way that you became a believer, will be the same way that you enter into the glorified state by the power and working of God. And do you have responsibility in it? Of course you do. Just look at your life. But those whom He called, He justifies. He makes right. He brings into his family. And those he brings into his family, he glorifies. So don't wig out along the way. If you're being faithful to accomplish his purposes and submit yourself to them, he will carry you along in the process. Right? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The inheriting of the world thing. And and, and this this part is not theology anymore. This is Paul trying to write this on your heart in huge flaming letters. This This is not just mere theology. This is him like... This is the beauty of the entirety of the story. It's supposed to build this in you. Like that last song does. Really the same thing. Just think of how that last song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. This is him like hitting on that. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So if God is going to give Jesus for us, how will he not also... With him graciously give us all things, not withhold anything like a good father would who wants to pour out blessing and goodness and leading and good things on his children. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. If God says you are in the right and you are in my family and nothing that you can do can change that, then nothing that you can do can change that. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how it all culminates. This is how it all sets us up to have renewed hearts in an unrenewed world. And the rub and the tension for us is that we don't wake up considering ourselves to be sheep to be slaughtered that day. We wake up trying to figure out what do I need to do To make sure my future is comfortable. That's what we wake up thinking. We don't wake up thinking. I'm just a sheep to be slaughtered. I have have a renewed heart. In an unrenewed world. And today might be difficult. Me and Joe were talking backstage. And he said you know like. When Paul wrote this, most of these people within 10 years are probably going to be doused in oil, put on a cross and burned to give light to Nero's porch. They're going to be tortured and fed to lions. And it's still true. Like terrible things are about to happen to these people who originally got this letter. And Paul is so confidently saying, Yes, God loves you and nothing can take that away even in this unrenewed world when it comes and it sinks its teeth into you. Not just persecution, but the gratuitous evil that we live in. Losing family members before you should. Being abused by people in your own family. Your cultural narrative getting blown to pieces not getting a job for four years after you get out of school and having to rack up more debt so that you can survive having to move back in with your parents and nobody wants to do that and God is still good and he still loves you and he's still able to accomplish his purposes through you even when it doesn't go the way you think it ought to And this is what He's calling us to set our hope in and to put our life for. To be those with renewed hearts who move through this world being diligent and faithful today. Realizing that whatever I'm led into, nothing can separate me from the love of my Father because of what Christ has done. Nothing can separate me. Not my own sin, not my own failure, not my anger, not my rage, not my sexuality. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so I move out boldly. And yes, the world will be changed until the day that it's renewed fully and we reign with Christ in this renewed state. So my plea is don't expend your energy trying to realize what Jesus is going to realize too early. Expend your energy being faithful and setting your hope and your life into what your Father has promised you in Christ.